This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Subscribe to the Astros podcast. Joined by Justin Verlander getting the ball on opening day. Steve Sparks here, and I'm with Lance McCuller. Tons of interviews. Robert Ford joined by Michael Brantley. Alex Bregman. Carlos Correa returning to the lineup today. Highlights. That is line in the right field, and that's going to get down for a base hit. High and deep, and it's gone. A grand slam. Follow your favorite team. Subscribe to the Astros podcast. We definitely love playing in front of our fans in Minute Park. <laughs> For the H. They never said it would be easy. This is the Houston Astros Radio Network. Back to Astropod, the official podcast of the Houston Astros. It's one of those innings that feels like it's never going to end. Yeah, and it has to feel that way for the pitching staff and the fielders of the Astros. Ground ball, Innsberg steps on third, throws to second, and then the throw to first, triple play! So much for the inning that wasn't going to end. A triple play around the horn. From Ensberg to Kent to Lamb. How many times over the years have we jokingly said, but the Astros need here is a triple play ball. Well, this time they needed it in the worst way, and they got it. Wow. On Astropod, Bill Brown and Jim Deshay. That takes us back a few years. J.D., how's everything going? <laughs> it's going great, Brownie. It's so good to hear your voice. Uh, great to be with you. Uh, circumstances aren't the best, obviously, but uh, uh, good to check in with you, old friend. Oh, man, nothing like catching up. And I was especially thrilled to see your pieces on Twitter, your videos of your uh, golfing in your living room there in Chicago. Tell us a little bit about the genesis <laughs> of that idea. Uh, well, um, like everybody else, just trying to figure out what, what to do with my time. And, um, you know, smart people, I think, read a lot of books and, and make productive use of their time. I've been chipping and putting in my den <laughs> hours at a time. And uh, I, I, don't, I don't remember what the first one was, but something struck me as funny. So I took a picture of it. I, I tweeted it and it, it seemed to get a little bit of a response. So I kind of kept it going and you know, people kept saying, well, what hole are you on now? And, you know, so I, I, I didn't play 18. Uh, I mean, I, there are some holes I had to skip because I just didn't have enough ideas. But uh, I was using board games as props. Uh, my daughter, Molly, was doing some creative editing on a couple of videos that I did. Um, so I, I played the 18th hole yesterday. So I think the golf game might be on hiatus for a while. But it, did, it provided me with a little fun and a, a little bit of a diversion. Do you remember playing Black Horse here in Houston at all when you were here? I, I did indeed, yeah. It was, uh, Dirk always had his tournament out there. Correct. There's one hole you may remember. It's right there on Fry Road uh, with a lot of sand. There is a gargantuan sand bunker on the right side of the fairway, a few bunkers on the left side, and then up by the green, more sand. And uh, there are no rakes now for these bunkers. So most of us are just tossing the golf ball out of the bunker, right? But sure. if you were to, to really be in that bunker and have to play that shot, it would be about a 40-yard long bunker if you were in the very front of it. So the thought came to my mind that this uh, this takes me, you know, this is kind of like Saudi Arabia. You expect to see uh, uh, Lawrence of Arabia come by on a camel. It's just <laughs> nothing but sand, J.D. It's incredible. And you get up on the green, and the green is kind of like an oasis. You're finally there. You get up there, and there's no pin flag, and you have no idea where the hole is. Yeah. But you're playing golf, real golf, yeah. not in your den golf. Well, that yeah, looks so. like more fun, actually, because yeah. you had, you know, you took uh, great care in lining up that putt underneath your couch, and then it went over a hump. You really crafted that hole very nicely. Yeah, other folks have been putting similar videos out, and a lot of them live in, uh, you know, two-story homes, and they're using their stairs to great advantage. I don't have that, so I'm, I'm, on, I'm a one-floor condo here, so I have to be a little more creative and, and bring furniture into, into play. Uh, we're not, you know, we're, the, the golf courses here remained open briefly, and then the governor shut them down, so 
Uh, there is no golf uh, going on in Illinois, although in neighboring states, Wisconsin and Indiana, courses are open. So if you were to drive to one of those courses, you'd see a lot of Illinois plates, um, you know, flooding into Indiana and, and Wisconsin. So you know, hopefully soon we'll get a chance to get out. I, I, you know, I've never craved a hot dog at the turn more than I have in the last month or so. I just it's so appealing to me right now. <laughs> JD, take me back to your childhood in Messina, New York, and uh, you, of course, we're an outstanding baseball player. But as you listened to and watched baseball broadcasters, what really struck you in those days? Yeah, you know, I, I was lucky because I grew up in, in Messina, which ran on the Canadian border in the, at the top of New York State. So we had um, a local uh, AM station in town at various times had contracts with the Expos and the Yankees. So uh, we, we got Dave Van Horn uh, and Duke Snyder doing Expos baseball for a time, you know, straight out of Jerry Park. And then they flipped over and they, they signed with the Yankees. And that was uh, uh, Frank, uh, Frank Messer, uh, Scooter, Phil Rizzuto. Mm -hmm. uh, I think Bill White ended up doing, uh, you know, I, can't, I know Bill obviously did, ultimately did games there, but I don't know if he was on that original broadcast crew that I listened to as a kid. And we got WPIX and WOR uh, uh, cable stations out of New York. So we got the Yankee broadcast there. And we got Lindsey Nelson, Kiner, Ralph Kiner, and Bob Murphy. Uh, doing the Met games, and we kind of gravitated towards the Mets. We watched a lot of Mets back in the day, and and that trio was kind of the the guys you know we listened to or watched uh, more than any other. And then when you stepped uh, off the playing field and into the booth, did you call upon any of those memories? Uh, did anybody's style particularly strike you in terms of what? you would decide to use? You know, the two guys that I thought that, that I really enjoyed listening to during my playing days was Dirk. I thought Dirk was great. So, you know, he became a, a real model for me. Um, and Jim Cott, uh, I thought Kitty was, was really good. And I think, you know, we're probably influenced by all the voices we hear over the years. I think, you know, the game tends to, um, I don't know, the, the voices tend to blend together. That becomes a style that most guys use. And, uh, you mimic people without even realizing it, probably in terms of your cadence and your pace and and what you focus on. But but I would say for sure, Dirk would be number one on my list of, of guys that I really uh, enjoyed listening to. And you know, when you when you get pulled after four and a third innings, Brownie, you have a lot of time to sit in the clubhouse and listen to the broadcast. So, <laughs> so <laughs> well, now wasn't so, there a story that you used to tell about when you were not pitching, you'd sit in the bullpen and do some play-by-play? -play? Yeah, or in the dugout. And, you know, we had those big long dugouts in the dome, so it was very easy to go down to the far end of the dugout, and that's typically where the the, the pitchers that weren't pitching hung out. Uh, and, and you could goof around and not provide a distraction for the guys that were really focused on what was going on on the field, you know, i.e. the manager, the coaches, and the, and the guys that were in the game. So we'd hang out down there at the far end of the dugout, um, and every now and then I would just start to riff on what was happening on the field, uh, trying to do my own version of color. Um, at times it probably wasn't broadcast-worthy on a number of fronts, but I remember doing it in the minor leagues too, just, just goofing around and um, – you know, trying to have some fun with it. And, and that's probably where the seed was planted, where I thought, yeah, this would be fun to, to, to really do this for a living. This, this would be a lot of fun. Has it lived up to your expectations? Yeah, it has. It's been, it's been a great ride. Um, you know, as you know, and so many people in Houston know, when I first started, it was, it was real choppy. Um, I, you know, I didn't really know how to do it. And it's, it's one of those jobs, when you're looking at it from the outside, you think, ah, how hard can this be? Anybody can go on and talk about baseball. And then when you start to do it, you, you gain a, a greater appreciation for the people that can really do it well, because I was brutal when I started. Um, I remember uh, doing an Astroline show uh, at Disney, you know, my first year with Milo. And people were calling in, and you know, most of them were asking about the players. And this one guy called in and just, the Astros are going to finish last, and Jim Deshays is terrible. So, you know, like that. <laughs> <laughs> and this is this, this is in front of a uh, 
you know, we used to remember how we do it at the boardwalk there in front of a, like a live audience. There was people in there eating cheeseburgers and, and drinking beer and not really paying a whole lot of attention to what we were doing. But there was a few people there, you know, and they kind of looked at me. And, and, and Milo, to his credit, he, he lit the guy up. He, he, he wasn't going to let him get away with it. So I, I always appreciated that, Milo coming to my defense. But it, yeah, it was a, it was a slow uh, process kind of learning and, and, you know, God bless you, man. Thankfully, I had you to lean on to carry me for so many years until I at least started to figure it out a little bit. Well, you carried me, pal. And, uh, you know, I, I've had people tell me down through the years, boy, I just I couldn't wait until the game got one sided because that's when J.D. really started entertaining. And you'd come out with the Seinfeld references and things like that. And I had no idea what you were talking about, but it was really funny. But I wanted to ask you, uh, when you were in the Yankees farm system, and I believe you were at A-Ball when uh, John Elway was your teammate. Tell us about uh, playing catch with him. Yeah, uh, we called him Elrod. Um, and, he, you know, he was drafted by the Yankees, I, th- I want to say the previous year. This was the summer of 82 in the New York Penn League in Oneonta. And, um, you know, John, of course, was a All-American quarterback at Stanford. Uh, George Steinbrenner made him the Yankees' first pick in the draft in 81, I think. Um, and then brought him to Oneana in 82, signed him to uh, $125,000, $150,000 a deal with the idea that because he was Steinbrenner and the Yankees were the Yankees, he could talk John out of football, uh, or at least maybe talk him into doing a little bit of both. And, and John all along was, you know, he told us, that ain't, that's not going to happen. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be a football player. This was, this was just a nice, fun summer gig for John. Um, but it was fun, you know. There, I think there was 13 or 14 of us living in a frat house in Oneonta um, that was normally would normally house students at uh, SUNY Oneonta, and you know, on occasion we'd ask John to buy us pizza and a keg of beer or whatever. <laughs> you know, he was the guy that had had all the money, and um, yeah, he was a good guy. You know, that's that's one of the questions people would always ask back then. What kind of guy was was Elway? And he was just one of the boys, uh, an extremely talented one of the boys. Um, ultimately probably would have been a major league player had he stayed with baseball. Um, you know, if I try to look back, put on my scouting hat, um, big arm, obviously he, he ran really well for a big guy. Um, and you know, more of a line drive hitter, but I imagine Brownie, he would have developed into a power guy. And, and the one thing that I always remember that surprised me, he was really good bunter. He, he was really good at putting a bunt down for a base hit. Didn't you play catch with him with a football? Oh, yeah, we went out and, and ran patterns in the road, you know, try to get him ready for, for football season. And I remember doing a little, like, you know, curling 10-yarder, and I turned, and the point of the football hit me right in the chest before I could get my hands on it. It's like I was, I was doubled over. I couldn't breathe for about three minutes. <laughs> well, you were covered. You got through the minor leagues. You got to the big leagues with the Yankees. And – uh Boy, you do a great Bob Shepard, and I don't know how many of the fans remember the the legendary public address announcer of the New York Yankees, Bob Shepard, very stately gentleman, uh, terrific voice, understated style. Do you remember any announcements that you could do in Bob Shepard's voice? Well, it was a th- we used to do them growing up as kids. We'd do Bob, and we would do... Um... The guy in Fenway, Sherm Lawler, and Sherm was more of a uh, now batting number eight, Jastrzemski, number eight, you know, very curt, very, you know, gruff. And Shepard, who was uh, like a linguistics professor at St. John's, he just had that marvelous deep timber. And he would, you know, he'd drop the uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, please direct your attention to the commissioner's box behind the Yankee dugout. You know, and we, you know, <laughs> we would do that. You know, we'd entertain ourselves doing imitations of these guys. Because, you know, when you're 12, 13, 14, the, the game is your life. You focus on not just the players, but the broadcasters, the PA guys. You get wrapped up in every little bit of it. Um, and, and, and Bob was just this, this kind of voice of God uh, before Bob Ford became the voice of God. Yes, yes. Well, uh, how about we play a little game here? And we do a mock broadcast with you and Harry Carey. And I'll be Harry and you be you. (laughs) All righty, bring it on, Harry. Well, hello, everybody. This is Harry Carey with Jim Deshays and uh, J.D. Well, that was a great Italian dinner we had last night. What did you enjoy the most? 
Well, you know, Harry, um, I was particularly fond of the uh, fettuccine Alfredo. Uh, I noticed you have went back for seconds, and, and that was probably after your third martini. Uh, but it was, uh, it was a pleasant dining experience. Always great out to be out with the mayor of Rush Street and enjoying the, uh, the good consumables here in the Windy City. And we must have met uh, five, 600 people in there. There's a three-run triple, but uh, what did you think of dessert, though? You know, uh, dessert has, has never been a strong suit of mine. Uh, I'm more of an appetizer slash entree kind of guy, Harry. But uh, as long as you're treating, I'm willing to eat anything. <laughs> <laughs> Dave Winfield was on the air with us, and he used a word, and I do not remember now. It was the longest word I think I've ever heard on the air. But you and I just looked at each other and thought, what in the world are we doing up here with this guy breaking out a 30-cent word on a baseball game? Yeah, you know what it was? And it was uh, in, in premature. In prim oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He was talking about Tony Gwynn, right? Well, he, he put his imprimatur on right field or something like that. And you and I just looked at each other and we thought, well, I thought we were at a baseball game. Yeah, yeah. Winnie, Winnie went big on us. Um, you <laughs> drop a little Hall of Fame knowledge. <laughs> well, I, I, there's nothing like baseball, I think, uh, for broadcasting, J.D., because uh, you really can't prepare for some of the things. Didn't we do that B game in, in San Diego when we had uh, about a 50-minute delay because B's got on a chair? Uh, yeah, and that's... Line? When you started to reference San Diego, I thought that's where you were going to go before you brought up uh, uh, Big Dave. Uh, that was that was marvelous uh, because, as you know, when you're hit with that and nobody back home is ready for it and you can't, you know, there's no studio to pick it up or, you know, you, you, um, we had to stay on the air. And, and we covered that B delay. I think at the ball girl down the left field line had like a Snickers bar in her coat pocket or something. And these bees invaded the ballpark, and they, you know they're coming in from all over the place. And yeah, we did bee trivia. And thank God for computers, because I remember you know punching up, you know bees, and I think I quizzed you on, on bees. And uh, <laughs> so we may have named our all-time bee team. I don't know. Yeah, what we did. Um, yeah. We you know had, of course we had the killer bee thing that we could play off of. Um, and, and God knows how many people stayed with us, <laughs> but we gave it our level best. Well, the problem was they had to locate a beekeeper, and that took right. a while to get him to the ballpark. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> normally, normally they're not on staff around Major League Stadiums. Yeah. Well, uh, you've been uh, with the Cubs for how many years now, JD? Uh, this is uh, this will be number eight. Wow, and it's been uh, just a crazy ride. But what a great place to work there in Chicago with packed houses at Wrigley Field, and uh, Len Casper is such a good broadcaster working with you, and your family's taken to Chicago well, correct? Yeah, it, it, it's been fun. I mean, it was obviously not easy to, to leave Houston. It'll always be my baseball home. I have so many fond memories of, of all the people there. Um, I, you know, our ride together was, it'll never be matched from my personal experience. That was, that was just so much fun. But Len's great. Uh, he's been a great partner. Uh, coming to Wrigley, uh, you know, making that your home office uh, 81 times a year, you know, uh, aside from pandemic seasons. Um, and the energy in the ballpark every night, every day is big. It's a bit, you know, Chicago is such a great sports town and the Cubs are such a big part of it. It's, 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 there's always a big story um, sur surrounding the Cubs. And, and we love the city. It's been fun. We're doing the high rise living downtown. We've never lived that way before. So we're trying to take full advantage of that. Um, so it's, it's been a great experience. It was a, a terrific opportunity uh, with that rivalry in the NL Central with the Astros and Cubs and fans from Houston used to flock to Chicago. And it, it's a, such a unique place because there are a fair number of day games and that gives people an opportunity to go out for a, a wonderful dinner and the restaurants are terrific there. So I really enjoyed it. I, I, was that your best stop on the road when you were with the Astros or what was your best? Yeah, I, I think I think Chicago for the, for the reasons you just stated. I, I think the day games more than anything, um, because it, they stood out um, compared to anywhere else you went in the league. Um, so you had that opportunity. You know, the, my ideal situation was to pitch the day before you came to Chicago. So one, you didn't have to deal with the wind blowing out at Wrigley as a pitcher. 
And if it was a weekend and you had, you know, Friday afternoon game, Saturday afternoon game, you had two opportunities to go out and grab dinner. Um, and, and it was just, you, you, you've, there was a historical connection too. When you're in the old ballparks and, you know, there's basically two left, you feel like you're part of that thread of the history of the game. You know, you can, you can walk up to Wrigley Field and imagine Babe Ruth stepping out of a cab you know, before the 1932 World Series, you can, you know, say this is where, you know, Willie Mays patrolled center field, Ernie Banks was at shortstop, you know, it's just, there's just so much history there. And uh, with all the new ballparks, you kind of lose that feel. When you were pitching, you bring up a good point, not, uh, not really wanting to pitch there, but uh, very difficult with the wind blowing out, obviously. And I remember we would stay usually at the same hotel year after year, and typically we'd hear starting uh, pitchers tell stories about getting up in the morning, opening the drapes, looking out the window and just check which way the wind was blowing. And they would know which way it would be blowing at the ballpark through experience. Did you ever do that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And if not, then, you know, certainly when, when you when you walked out to get on the team bus, uh, if the wind was blowing out towards the lake, you know, and it was a warm day, uh, you know, and I was a fly ball pitcher. So you knew it was going to be trouble. Um and then, you know, my, my last major league start came at Wrigley as a member of the Phillies in 95. And there was a heat wave in the Midwest that year. And we stayed at that Hyatt over on Wacker. And there was two towers with a walkway in between, a glass walkway, you know. So I'm walking between the towers and I'm looking out and I see the heat radiating off the street. <laughs> it's, and, you know, you, you talk about the wrong mental approach to a sport. My thought was, I'm going to go to that ballpark today in this heat, and the wind's going to be flying. I'm going to get lit up. And Jimmy Fergosi was the manager. I was with the Phillies, and I'd been in the minor leagues you know, up until you know, two weeks before. Um, they're going to release me, and I, my career is going to be over. <laughs> that, was my, that was my thought as I headed to the ballpark. and uh, I was spot on. I mean, I, I nailed it. <laughs> That's how it played out. Oh, man. Wasn't there a time when we were in Arlington, Texas, in the old Rangers ballpark uh, for an exhibition game, and the wind was howling, or was it Oklahoma City, and you were pitching? I can't remember now. Do you remember that one? Yeah, I do. Um, I, yeah, I can't remember if it was Oklahoma City or, or in Arlington, but it was an exhibition game, and it was like a two-game series, and I pitched the first game, and this was... Right, this would have been uh, Juan Gonzalez, Pudge, Dean Palmer, that group. They had some real sluggers, um, and they hit three or four home runs off me. And in spring training, you got to stay out there, right? Because it was right towards the start of the regular season, so you've got to get your work in. There's no, there's nobody's going to come and bail you out in an exhibition game when you've got to get up to 90 pitches or whatever. So I don't know if I gave up, you know, three, four, five home runs. I, I, I would put the over under at four. Uh, and thank God it didn't count. <laughs> but, the, but the next day, um, in game two, and because it was, a, it must have been Oklahoma City because it was a minor league park, and they wanted to treat the minor league fans. So before each game, they would do the deal where each team would line up on the on the baseline, and they would announce us. And I pulled a neck brace out of the training room and, and wrapped it around my neck <laughs> to indicate <laughs> the whiplash I'd gotten the night before. <laughs> Oh, man. Baseball is just chock full of memories, and, and we have so many great ones. And I think that's uh, the attraction of the sport. There are so many games and so many road trips and weird things that happen. Uh, it just, it, but as the years tumble by for you, do you ever get to the point of saying, yeah, I think I've seen just about everything, not quite? Yeah, I mean, we, we have that conversation all the time. Like, you think you've seen everything until you realize you haven't. Um, a couple of years ago, we were playing up in Milwaukee, and um, I can't remember the exact specifics of the play, um, but Gene Segura stole first base. I, you know, fans might remember that one. They'd have to Google it and look it up, but it was just some real wonky play where, you know, Segura was caught in a rundown, and he rounded second base, and... He, he ended up running back to first, <laughs> overran the bag and was tagged, but he was called. I don't know. Look it up, folks. It, it, but it was, it was one of those wacky situations where it's like, I haven't seen that before. And, and of course, of course, Dirk would remind us all that, well, 
you know, Germany Schaefer back in 1913 stole first base. And that was, that was what I always appreciated about Larry is his knowledge of the history of the game was so deep. Yeah, it's been a terrific ride uh, for the folks who like great uh, analysts here in Houston. And uh, boy, 16 years we had together, J.D., uh, does it seem like uh, five, six years ago that we last worked together? Or does it seem like you've been gone for a long time? You know, it's both. It's weird, Brownie. You know, and in some ways it feels like it was yesterday. Other times it feels like a long, long time ago. And I think that's what this pandemic is doing. Too. I think it's messing up with our uh, perception of time. Uh, you know, it, it seems like one week passes from the next very quickly now. But when I think back to when we were in Arizona for spring training, that feels like 10 years ago. So uh, time is a, is, a, is a weird deal. But um yeah, we, Lori and I will have that conversation, or will come up from time to time, to, and we'll say, "Do you realize that we've been gone from Texas for you know, from Houston for eight years? It, it seems kind of weird." There's a story circulating. You may have seen the emails; they always circulate. And uh, two seventy-year-olds are having this conversation, and one of them says, "Boy, I I feel like I'm about sixteen years old again." The other guy says, uh, "What?" He says, "Yeah." Uh, gas is a dollar sixteen a gallon, and I'm grounded. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. Well, what do, you, what do you guys do? Do you, do you get out at all? Uh, take a walk as a family? What's the plan when you really want a little entertainment? Yeah, that, that's that's about it. Um, you know, in, in many ways, it feels not all that unlike the off season, because um, in the off season, we our basic program is, you know, hang out for a little while, go for a good long walk, come back, have dinner, you know read a book, watch a movie. And that's kind of what we're doing now. Not getting out quite as much as, um, you know, you got to jump through hoops, putting on masks. And, you know, there's some level of concern when you live in a high rise around a lot of other people. But um, we were out for a walk this morning. Um, it, it, the Kind of the, the neatest thing that's going on here lately, it, you know, we're surrounded by all these high rises. And, and every night at eight o'clock, um, people start flashing their lights, start strobing their lights and turning their lights on and off. And, um, my daughter Molly was out on our balcony the last couple of nights with lights wrapped around her dancing and people are banging pots and pans, <laughs> basically just everybody kind of shouting out to each other, hang in there, you know, we're all in this together. And it's, 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 it's been a really good moment, uh, each night and kind of a highlight. Um, but other than that, yeah, I, we're doing the same, like I'm imagining a lot of other folks are doing, um, watching a little Netflix. Um, Lori's been cooking up a storm. <laughs> I've got to be careful I don't put on 30 pounds because it's been really good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's been great to catch up with you, J.D. Thanks so much for the visit. And uh, I will try to do a better job of staying in touch. I know I haven't been very good at it, but uh, always enjoy our chats. Yeah, this is great, Brian. It's so good to be with you. And, you know, it's, it's on me. Uh, Lori always says to me, you know, it's weird that you speak for a living. But you're not a very good communicator. <laughs> you don't talk to people. I say, I say, well, you're right, I don't. But uh, we'll, we'll make that pledge to stay in touch. Sounds great. Thanks so much to Jim Deshays on Astropod. Jimmy Deshays getting handshakes from everywhere. See you later. On Thursday, eight-time All-Star and Cy Young winner Justin Verlander took questions from the media. My lat is um, just about healed. I'm throwing some long toss, just not just quite, uh, just not quite throwing the ball 100% yet, but throwing it with good effort. Uh, and, th and the reason for that, first and foremost, is to not re-injure the lat, um, which is a common thing to do um, because you feel so good before it's actually 100%. Um, so I'm just being very cautious, obviously. Um, with this extra time, um, there's no reason to push it. Um, if, if we were in a season right now, I feel like I might be at a point where um, I could be further along um, than I am, but um, taking my time with that. And the groin um, is feeling really good. Um, some good days, some bad, but in general, everything's been moving in the right direction. Um, and uh, it's starting really this last couple of weeks. It's started to feel very strong, um, particularly in throwing. Um, that was probably the toughest thing on the groin, which I think points to why I needed this surgery in the first place, because throwing um, was putting a big strain on it. Um, but um, I would say particularly this week, I've made a big stride forward and um, 
and, and very optimistic about how it's feeling and, and looking. Justin, Ms. Chandler from the Chronicle, can you uh, give us an up? Can you give us an idea of what happened that led to the groin surgery? Because in spring we had heard that you had the soreness, but it, it didn't seem that that was much of an issue. Was there a setback or, or what occurred there? So I'll start with uh, post-op. Um, after the surgery, um, the doctor said he's uh, very happy that I had it done because it was, it was, it looked like it was about to really tear fully. Um, it had been pretty beaten up, um, that, that adductor longus muscle. Um, so I, I think this is something not unlike, um, like a sports hernia or, you know, the other surgery I had done where it's more of an overtime thing. There's not one moment that you feel it and you tear it. It's just kind of uh, a cumulative uh, wear, wear and tear. Um, I think that that started to manifest in my off season this year where I, I, I noticed my groin um, a little bit when I was working out. Um, and I wouldn't say it never like stopped me from doing what I needed to do, but it was noticeable. Um, and some days it would be pretty sore. Um, so then, you know, you go into spring training and the second that I started getting off the mound at a high effort, um, it started bugging me a little bit. Um, so, um, we, Jeremiah and the training staff, we got together and discussed all the options of which, um, surgery was one, but, uh, that felt pretty, um, aggressive for me at the time. Um, you know, the way I felt, I thought I could work through it, um, which I did. That's what you guys saw. You saw me trying to work through it. Um, and, uh, and really, um, in those couple starts in the game, the groin felt okay. Um, it really, that, and what, what I think happened, and, and there's no definitive answer to this, but my lat ended up tearing or, 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 uh, straining because I was changing my mechanics because my, because of my groin. So, um, it had reached a point where I was just manipulating my body to, to pitch. And that's never a good thing. Um, and that, that's why the lat strain happened in, in, in my belief and many others that I've talked to. So, uh, even after that happened, I wasn't committed to, um, having surgery. Um, I thought it was something I could maybe work through, but, um, after, um, after doing my rehab for my groin, um, or I'm sorry, doing during my rehab for my groin, it, it popped. Um, and it was a weird feeling. Um, it did, it, it uh, it wasn't painful. Um, but, but it was definitely a, a discernible pop in that, in that high groin area. So that concerned me enough um, and the training staff enough that I should get another opinion on it. Um, so I uh, talked to, went up to see Dr. Myers in Philly and sure enough, when he looked at it, um, both, both with his um, uh, physical exam and with the MRI, it looked like my attachment of that groin had gotten worse and I had started to pull it off the bone even more. So that was that that moment was the first time I realized that I probably wouldn't be able to make it through a season without it completely tearing um, and that I should just go ahead and, and get it done um, at that point in time, which is what I did. Justin, is having surgery like this to stage the game, is that worrisome, scary? Or if that's not the right words, what are the right words of how you what it was like for you to go through this? Well, I think anytime you have surgery, it's scary because you never know how you, you know, uh, there's no guarantees in anything. Um, you know, uh, you, you don't know how you're going to respond. Um, so yeah, there's always some fear, um, of, of what that looks like post surgery and, and healing. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, Dr. Myers is one of the, is, is one of the best, if not the best in the world. Um, and, 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 and he's somebody, he had done my previous, um, core muscle repair, including my left adductor. Um, so seeing how I responded from that and how I came back, I think really kind of put my, or helped put my mind at ease. You know, you can never put it, put it at ease hundred percent at surgery, but, um, after talking with him and having experienced that past surgery, um, you know, that helped put my mind at ease that I would come back, um, stronger and, and better. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's already showing some benefits in my mechanics. Um, you know, uh, in, in, in my throwing sessions, I'm feeling, um, better. 
Um, and, 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 you know, I think just talking way down, um, you know, the road here, but mechanics wise, I think I've been slightly manipulating and making some adjustments subconsciously to kind of protect that groin a little bit. So, um, you know, not unlike my previous surgery, um, where I had to, um, refine or re, re refine my mechanics. I'm kind of doing the same thing right now. I'm kind of doing this as an opportunity to, uh, any, any links in the mechanics or, or, you know, uh, uh, kinks in the chain, if you will, um, I'm trying to iron those out and really kind of make my, my delivery as, as efficient as possible right now. And I think having this surgery is going to allow me to do that when maybe if I hadn't had it done, I think I would have continued to manipulate my, my, my body to be able to pitch. Hey, Justin, uh, talking about your rehab, this is Matt from channel 11. Where, where are you able to, you know, social distance and that type of thing and get your work, work in? Been tricky, um, but because I'm I'm post surgery, surgery um, and, and it's and it's PT, I've been able to see some physical therapists um, uh, because it was a surgery. Uh, it's it's been deemed it's an essential necessity to be able to uh, to get the necessary physical therapy to return to to normal activity. So um, thankfully, um, I've been able to find a, a good team. It's been difficult. I'm not going to lie. I mean, the, obviously, our training staff. And facility has been shut down, um, and I'm not in Houston, so um, I'm not going to say it's been easy. But uh, I feel like I, I was able to find a good a good team here that I was able to to see and, and help assist me through this rehab process. Justin, the team said that this was like a, a six week rehab. Uh, have mm -hmm. you taken it any slower, knowing that there there isn't like a season to rush back to at this point? Um, interestingly. <laughs> the lat and the groin, right, are, are very connected in this. And um, it's been like a, almost like a, like a race um, where I'm pushing it, but at the same time, like, I can't do too much with my lat, right? They told me they were very specific. So I, I would say I've been taking my time with my lat because um, I can, but I've been pushing my groin. Um, so... I feel like I'm right now reaching the point where my groin is getting strong and healthy enough that I'm almost throwing too hard because the more I want to use that leg, the harder I'm throwing. So um, it's interesting that you asked that question because like, as I'm like today was a day that I'm kind of like feeling like I might have to pump the brakes just a little bit for a week or so. Um, just to let my lat fully heal and be a hundred percent sure that it's healed, um, and then go ahead and, and and do whatever I need to do. And I I feel like they're they're working. It, it's it's the timing of it's worked really well with the healing process. Um, you know the groin the groins kind of held me back from overstressing the lat, and um, you know I feel like they're both going to be uh, healed at, at at the right time where I'll, I'll be able to just go ahead and and progressing my throwing as I see necessary to get ready for the season, whenever that is. Hey, Justin, I know that you're not part of the, these decisions, but I was wondering, do you still expect there to be a season this, this year? And what do you think about some of the proposals that have been thrown out there? Um, yeah. I mean, there's been a lot of interesting proposals um, for sure. Um, you know, I've been somebody that, I mean, I've just been so uh, focused on, on getting myself healthy that, um, I haven't paid as much attention to some of that stuff as others. I'm more, I'm more just kind of waiting till somebody says, Hey, this is the decision that we've come to and this is what we're going to do so that I know what I have to do to prepare to get ready for that. Um, you know, I, I mean, I think everybody's being as open-minded as possible um, just so that we do get a season. And uh, to be honest, I mean, I was in the camp early on, I was probably in the uh, uh, pessimistic camp about, um, about playing just because of the, you know, just looking at the facts of the virus. But I would say in, in recently I've become more optimistic that, that, that we're going to get games in in some, in some form or fashion. And it sounds like those are, that are in charge are um, kind of honing in on, on, on what that would look like. And look, I'm, I'm, I'm a proponent of playing baseball, um, whatever that takes, uh, you know, I, I, I want to, I want to play games. How crazy would it be, Justin, if you, you, you want to play, but you're, you're not playing in front of fans, what would that be like? Do you think? I don't know. I haven't not played in front of fans in a long time. So um, I think it'll be interesting. Um, you know, 
there'll be some new stuff that pops out that I haven't experienced in a long time. You know, the, the pop of the myth, the, uh, the bickering of, of, from the dugouts, you know, you'll hear everything. Um, you know, the guys up in the press box that are announcing the game on the radio, you'll be able to hear what they're saying. Um, <laughs> it'll be interesting. Justin, you're chasing, uh, you've got a lot of milestones. You're still chasing them. Other things like 300 wins, uh, you know, how concerned are you losing a big chunk of the season will sort of delay some of that stuff for you, maybe make it a little bit harder? Um, not overly concerned. Um, you know, I, I'd be lying if I said it's not something that crossed my mind. Um, uh, but I plan on playing uh, for a long time. Um, and, and, and I feel, I, I, you know, I feel great. Getting this, uh, getting this surgery done, I think, um, even though it wasn't an easy decision to make, I think it will be, um, it'll be beneficial for me to go as far as I want, um, in this game. Um, so, uh, you know, we'll see. I've never been somebody that like, you know, just sticks, uh, a number and a goal out there, um, for, for many reasons. Um, you, I, you know, I, you just never want to give up, um, that, that passion no matter what. So, um, I have that passion every time I take the mound. Um, whether it's for my win number 300 or whether it's for win number 226, you know, or win number one. Um, so I, I've never wanted to put this theoretical goal in my head just so I don't um, let up. Um, you know, 200 wins is a perfect example. I was asked as a rookie um, when Kenny Rogers won his 200th game if I would if I would take that career and um, or take that that number of wins. And I and I told the the guy at the time that he was a veteran on our team. I told him no. And I mean, looking back, that was a, <laughs> a pretty outlandish statement. I now know what goes into winning 200 games. But then again, if I had only set my goal at 200, then, you know, what would the next 100 look like? Would I, would I even have the passion to keep going? Um, you know, so I just try not to set limitations. Just, just go out and give everything I got every five days. And, you know, when it's all said and done and uh, I understand that my career is over, um, you know, let the chips fall where they may. Justin, I know that you've been doing a lot to, to help out during the virus with charity work. Would you be able to talk a little bit about that and why it's so important for you two to help? Yeah, I mean, what, do you, what, what would you like to know about in particular? Maybe kind of like what, why you picked the people you did to help and like maybe mm -hmm. um, if you heard any feedback from the things you've been able to do. Yeah, I mean, we, we've had incredible feedback from everybody. Um, you know, I think we started with the Houston Food Bank. Um, I, I think... Um, we basically, and I think the unique thing about being able to pick a new charity week to week is that we will be able to kind of uh, understand where the weaknesses are and where people, where things are most at need. Um, so for Kate and I, I think the first time we donated, we thought food, um, you know, the essential of life um, was so important. Um, and Houston Food Bank's doing such an amazing job down there providing, providing meals to those in need. Um, I mean, you've seen a lot of, a lot of players help um, help donate uh, to, to them. And um, it was just a great cause. So from there, the next week um, we had, you know, and, and, and clearly we're kind of keeping it um, places that are meaningful to, to her and I. Um, so the following week um, we had been reading a lot about how much of a struggle Detroit was going through. Um, so when we reached out to a bunch of the organizations in Detroit, um, one of the places that really stuck out to us was the, was the police department there and how much they were struggling um, and the unique thing that what happened that following week was um, we partnered with Bella Canvas um, and they were able to provide us 25,000 masks. So we didn't have that the first week, but the second week um, we, we were able to distribute those. And um, and, and Detroit, particularly at the inner city where people can't afford masks or don't have the opportunity to, to buy them, um, the police department in conjunction with the donation to them, um, were able to distribute the masks around the community. So that was like, I mean, just a huge win-win um, to, to helping that community stop the spread because they had become an epicenter and were really struggling badly. Um, so, I mean, really the, the, the flattening the curve and everything we could do. And you need the police department to be able to do that. And they were really struggling as well being, you know, they didn't have enough protective equipment. So they were all becoming ill. Um, I don't know if you saw, but we talked with the with the police chief there, and he had just recovered from coronavirus. You know, so uh, at some point, uh, a huge uh, a huge percentage of them had had come under um, being ill or quarantined. So they were really struggling to help and assist those in need. Um, and then, you know, Kate and I lived in New York. Kate's been in New York for years. We love we love that city. So um, uh, uh, the the next place we donated was New York, um, and um, you know, we, we've we've 
um, come up with some great partnerships. And uh, this is just going to continue for the foreseeable future. I, I don't even know how we really came up with the idea. Um, um, it just kind of, it just kind of happened. It was something I thought of and I think it's worked better than we even anticipated. Um, just because of the, uh, um, just because of the week to week thing. Um, it's, it's really allowed us to kind of plug in, uh, where the need is and, and help and help, uh, plug that hole or, 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 or whatever you want to call it. Um, and it's just been phenomenal. I better, we've had better feedback from this than, than I anticipated. You know, it all started from a place of just wanting to help. Um, and, and where we've ended up, um, I think we've, we've, <laughs> I mean, we, we've been able to help a, a lot of people and, and, and that's what it's all about. You know, I think the whole world is in, is in a tough spot right now. And Kate and I are in a position to be able to help and give back. And uh, we're doing that. Justin, along those lines, what about you and Kate partnering with Cal McNair and Hannah and what you guys did there? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I can't thank them enough. Um, uh, Kate and, and Hannah have become uh, pretty good friends and, uh, you know, they hosted us at a couple football games and, um, you know, to, to have the, to have them partner with us. Um, I mean, it, it just, it just means the world. Um, it just shows how much people that are and can are willing to help, um, how, how they are doing. So, I mean, you're seeing it worldwide, but when, when it's, when Kate literally just picks up the phone and, and contacts uh, Hannah and says, Hey, we're doing this. Uh, do you want to partner and, or, or do anything? And, and without even knowing what they're doing, you know, she's like, absolutely. We'd love to, we'd love to do it. Um, and that just shows you the kind of people that they are and, and, and how they want to help those community as well. Justin, in an ideal world, how long do you think you guys would need in a second spring training to be ready for the season, especially from a pitcher's perspective? Um, that's a good question. I, I, I mean, it, everybody's unique, you know, like if you've been able to have the, the facilities to throw bullpens at, at, at a high effort, um, you don't need as much time as somebody that maybe hasn't had access to a field or a mound or a catch partner. Um, you know, I would hope if that's the case, then you would find, you know, there's always something you can do. If you throw a baseball into a wall, I mean, you're still throwing, um, uh, so it just, it's, it's individualized. Um, I, so it, that, I mean, I, I can't answer that question. It's just, um, it's just too difficult. I, I, obviously the shorter, the better, so we can get back to work. Um, and, and, and I think baseball, I think the country needs baseball at this time, um, or could use it. Um, and, and, uh, so I'm in the camp of, uh, let's get to it. Um, but at the same time, you can't risk, you can't risk people's health, you can't risk people's health to, to get back, um, it's not right. You mentioned earlier that uh, you hadn't played without fans in a really long time. Are you talking some of the rookie ball you played a little bit or high school or little league? How far back would it have been that you can imagine not having people, a large crowd around? I mean, if parents aren't allowed, never. I mean, uh, <laughs> that's, you know, um, I don't know what that would look like, whether it's like literally nobody in the stands or if they'll, you know, if your family is able to come, except, you know, they'll be, you know, separated in, in, in this gigantic stadium. Um, I don't know what that looks like, but, um, you know, I, I would say back to my uh, um, single A days in 2005, um, you know, we'd, play, we'd be playing in Lakeland sometimes late night and, you know, maybe have less than a hundred people there. And, and you, when you said that you were adjusting your mechanics, obviously subconsciously in a, in a sense, to uh, protect the groin or, or to account for the groin, does it say a lot for a guy who's been around as long as you have and dealt with so much that even you can fall into something that was obviously not the best thing for you just because you're so focused on trying to do what you're doing right then? And it's, I mean, it's just... It just seems odd that a player who's been around as long as you have and knows as much as you do can still fall into that. It's just that there are no guarantees yeah. for it, I guess. No, I, and you're right. You know, I, I there's some mechanical things that I noticed um, throughout the year that I wanted to address. However, um, I, I really couldn't. I mean, I was pitching really well, um, and, 
you know, it was just working. So I'm not going to go about a dramatic change um, in the middle of the season when the games are counting. Um, funny enough, though, if you look at the all-star game, my arm slot was probably like six inches lower than it was the most of the season. So I did make an adjustment at one point during last year, but it was in the all-star game when it didn't count. <laughs> Chester, what do you think about the, the floated idea of three different divisions kind of mixing up the AL teams and the NL teams? There would be a, a central, west, and east, and uh, – uh, under that proposal, the Dodgers would be in the division along with Angels. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I, I think if it's if that's what we got to do to play baseball, that's what we got to do. I, I'm, uh, I mean, it, uh, I, again, I'm just kind of in the camp of uh, whatever we got to do, we got to do it. Um, and and if that's what if that's what the uh, the people in charge think is the best and most efficient route to play games and and get a meaningful schedule in so that you can have a clear cut winner. Um, then that's what we got to do. Who's been your catch partner? I mean, a, a couple of different people. It's, it's just like basically whoever's available. When would you estimate that you'd be ready to take the mound first pitch and start a game? Um, I mean, that's really hard to say to peg down a, a date. Um, I, I, I mean, if you'd have asked me a week ago, uh, it, it would have been later than it is today. Um, you know, uh, it just, I mean, I, I, like I've made big strides forward in the last week in my, in my throwing and, and how my groin feels. Um, so, I mean, I, I can't give you a particular time. I, I just know that I'm taking it day by day, uh, week by week, really. I mean, if I take it day by day, there's, and it's hard not to, there's some days that are pretty disappointing because you don't go forward. Um, and you feel like you're going backwards. Um, but if I, if I look at a, a bigger picture. If I look at it week by week, I'm clearly, I'm clearly trending in the right direction. And uh, this week in particular has been uh, a dramatic step forward. And I've started throwing every day this week. I wasn't throwing every day the previous week. So um, that that's probably another reason that it's getting better quickly. Hey guys, we are out of time. Unfortunately, we have Justin. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Uh, thanks everybody. Hope everybody's uh, safe. Hope your family's healthy and, and uh, everybody stay safe. Houston. We know these are uncertain and unprecedented times, but we will get through this. We will get through this together. Together. It is important that we all take the necessary steps to ensure safety of our loved ones and our community. You're the best fans in baseball. The best. And we love you. We love you. Baseball will be back. And we cannot wait to see you. Stay safe, Houston. For the H. It's for the H.